Hello and welcome to The Periodic Fable, the podcast where we take a dive into the world of chemistry with me, Hallam Wheatley. And me, Cameron Day. How's it going, Cameron? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> pretty good, barring the uh, technical hiccup we just had, which meant we had to start all over again. Um, I'm doing okay. I'm sat in Accrington in the office, uh, going for some food in a new pub or maybe bar in Accrington later on, which is exciting because Accrington nice. doesn't have a lot going on. Yeah. There's a place called the Crafty Fox opening up, and so I'm meeting an old friend there. There we go. Sounds Excited lovely. For that. Yeah, how are you? Sounds lovely. Yeah, not too bad, mate. Not too bad. Just um, prepping. I'm off to London next week for a Chemicals Industries Association dinner. So, yeah. Fancy. Yeah, tuxedoing up, um, which will be fun. But, um, yeah, looking forward to that. But, uh, yeah, no other than that, it's, uh, yeah, it's all go. But, um, no, I think uh, in the world of chemistry, it's uh, been an interesting couple of weeks. We're now into the second week of COP26. We had uh, former President Barack Obama there, um, I think, at the weekend. We've got some United States delegates who've flown in over the last... 24 hours it's uh it's going to be another busy week in glasgow i think um there's been uh some positive talk but i think it's been a very dividing event uh yeah. and conference this year with um lots of activists like greta thunberg um obviously very vocal in their um comments about cop um and I think we're going to address that in our next podcast, actually, Cameron and I. We're going to have a chat about what's gone on at COP, the highlights from it. But, um, but yeah, that's that's kind of the real chemistry news highlight from uh, from chemistry, unless I'm missing something, Cameron. Yeah, I guess the only thing from, from COP, which I saw in the news today, was this, uh, what was it, the Climate Action Tracker of a recently done analysis, I think mid-COP, based on all the talk that's been going on. And they've mm-hmm. said that... Based on all of the current national plans and pledges, we'd be heading for 2.4 degrees by 2100, which um, is not yeah, where we want to be. absolutely not so, where we want to be. Yeah, so yeah, more is needed. More is needed yeah. and hopefully that'll come out. I mean, it's awesome that they've done this analysis mid-COP too to maybe stir some people. To, uh, yeah, it's needed, isn't it? It's needed. And I think um, obviously we know, what, we know what the targets are, but um, with... I think there's a lot of governments who are scared to commit and I think it, it's probably going to take one or two big powerhouses to commit to serious change and reform for the rest to follow suit. But I think in a post-COVID world, it is, it's understandably difficult when money's tight. But um, yeah, there's a lot of people hoping for more and uh, hopefully we'll see it this week, but I'm sure we'll cover all this in the next podcast. So We will indeed. Yeah. So what's on the agenda today then, Cameron? Yeah, so today we, we've got a really exciting talk. Um, we're speaking to Kemi and Nat, who are part of an organisation called um, Black and Chem. Um, we made the connection through, I think, just a shared article on LinkedIn, and it's a group that I hadn't heard of before, um, but they've been awesome in wanting to talk to us, and we have two for the price of one this week, which is awesome. So we've got a, a chat with two people, um, and they will be joining us very shortly. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, so yeah. Let's dive in. So I'm delighted to say that we're joined on the podcast today by Nat and Kemi from Black in Chem. And um, it's, it's great to have you here and it's great to learn a bit more about what Black and Chem is and, and why it was set up in, uh, in 2020. Um, so we're both really excited to um, 
to have you on to talk to you both. But um, I think first things first, we just want to ask, you know, how are you both? Is uh, you keep it busy? What's going on in uh, in your lives? Um, I'm like currently unemployed right now, so not that much. Um, actually, I tell a lie. <laughs> I tell a lie. I've been doing some like, even though I've not strictly been doing any science work at the moment, I've been doing like some art stuff. Wow. And um, had all of my pieces in an exhibition in Beckham, which was really cool. Um, but yeah, I'm starting my PhD in two weeks, so uh, I literally took two weeks off just to relax after I quit my job. Oh, nice. What are you studying? Um, I'm studying, so my field is environmental toxicology. Like the official uh, title, I think it's something called like measurement of how biopharmaceuticals degrade in wastewater. And it's basically going to include a lot of coding and using mathematical models to help predict how um, these drugs um, break down in the uh, environment. And um, yeah, it's going to be quite interesting because I only have like the uh, yeah. environmental side of it down, but not really coding. So yeah, it's going to be a bit of a challenge. And what about you, Nat? Yeah, uh, doing good. Thank you. Um, I'm I'm actually quite excited. I'm I'm about to start a new collaboration with uh, a university here in uh, Barcelona. So I'm I'm doing a a research project, uh, but in an industrial context um working uh, with a company uh, in the cosmetics industry and um we're starting a collaboration with uh, an university here so soon i will be shooting some lasers at some sunscreens so that's going to be fun so yeah quite excited <laughs> lasers are always fun always <laughs> um always yeah um yeah, just to echo Hallam's comments, uh, thank you both very much for joining. What our listeners don't know is this is uh, early on a Friday evening, so not only are we chatting to you after a long working week, but also we're keeping you from your Friday night activities, so we'll, we'll keep it brief. But yeah, thank you for, for joining us. I think a really nice place to start before we start talking about Black in Chem um, is just how you both got into chemistry and the chemical industry and how I know I know you both have different routes in, but if you could talk a bit more about about that, I'll let Kemi go first. <laughs> okay. Um. Well, so for my bachelor's degree, I did analytical chemistry and forensic science, and um, after that degree, I ended up working in, in an environmental water testing lab. So, like, doing a lot of um sort of wet chemistry techniques, like, um, you know, bent chemistry stuff, titrations, um, you know, like, uh, uh, looking at, like, total dissolved solids in um, water samples, uh, suspended solids, um, you know, water tasting, water appearance, like, all that sort of stuff. And then um, after I, I was doing that for, like, two years, sort of overlapped with my master's in analytical toxicology. So that was more sort of focused on... Um, in 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 um, comparison to what my um, bachelor's degree was like, it was more focused on drugs and toxins, um, whereas my bachelor's degree was more focused like it was just in fact it wasn't focused at all. It was more broad and looked at a range of things like food testing and 
environmental testing, drug testing, forensics. So my master's was a bit more specific. Um, and then after that, I basically worked at um, sort of in sort of in a corporate setting uh, for this company that produced um, scientific instruments uh, such as like LCMS, like uh, liquid chromatography, mass spectrometry instruments. And um, yeah, ever since then, I've just really been like working in a in a, in a school as a, a science technician and. I'm now doing a PhD soon, so I've had a very varied journey uh, in regards to chemistry. It's still very much been chemistry, but like sort of varying types of chemistry. Yeah, yeah. From my side, I I suppose that the the choice to do chemistry came uh, quite early in my final years of of school so i did I did school in in Portugal and in the schooling system there, which I suppose is similar to to the UK in the sense that you have to choose your disciplines towards the end your like the things you specialize in let's say um but in Portugal you have to choose between you know if you want to do arts humanities or science uh and I chose science but then within that you can choose in your final year you can choose if you do geology biology physics or chemistry and I chose biology and chemistry and um I remember, I mean, the word, the expression really is I was absolutely in love with chemistry for, in my final year of school because I had the most amazing teacher um, who just, yeah, I, I just was in love with, with chemistry and specifically, um, you know, all of these things about atoms and electrons and how the electrons move and all of that stuff, it, it completely, absolutely fascinated me. Um, so the choice to go do chemistry was quite straightforward, but when I started, I thought I would do and the choice to do chemistry and biology in the last year in school, because I thought I would do, you know, biochemistry or organic chemistry, something biopharmaceutical related. Um, and very quickly when I started university, I realized that I hated that. <laughs> <laughs> and that that really wasn't <laughs> that really wasn't where um where I wanted to be and it, I kept being pushed pushed as in by my interests or pulled I should say um into the physical chemistry side of things um so I did an undergraduate degree at the University of Leicester and that included a year in industry which I actually spent at the Rutherford Appleton Laboratories in Didcot in Oxford. So it's a research facility. And that's when I started. So this was in my third year in university mind. So first and second year, I had a pretty standard chemistry training. Third year, I was working with lasers already. Then my master's, my fourth year, I was working with lasers again. And then my PhD, I, and I've been working with lasers since then. So Sometimes I feel like a fraud calling myself a chemist because really I had two years of chemistry training and from then it's been very much physics. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm somewhere on the borderline of that. Um, and and yeah, that's been my my journey into chemistry. And now uh, I'm, a, I'm a research fellow. I'm a Marie Curie uh, research fellow. So, um yeah, that's that's how I got to to where I am today. No, thank you for sharing that. Um, Kemi, can I just dive into one thing? So I, when uh, 
as our listeners know, before we, we have a podcast, we always like to meet beforehand and introduce ourselves and, and, and talk to you kind of both about what the podcast is about. But um, Kemi, you shared with us about your passion for art and how you um, contemplated going down the, the fine art degree route. And um, kind of my question is, you know, why did you choose chemistry over fine art? I know that and you mentioned at the start about your art exhibition and, um, you know, I'm sure you have lots of artwork that we can check out online uh, <laughs> that hopefully we can plug at the end of the podcast. But because um, I remember you saying you wanted to kind of keep that chemistry with the art and the passion for both of them. Um, you know, can you just expand on that? And then, you know, do, do you, obviously you still do the fine art now. Is that more of a hobby or do you try and um, mix it with chemistry? Um. I feel like I really confuse people when I tell people that I'm a scientist and an artist because they sort of look at me and go like, huh? Like, what? Um, but yeah, um, I've so when I left the secondary school, um, I went to an art, an art college, an art university at first to do foundation diploma in art and design. And I wanted to pursue um, a bachelor's degree in fine arts. But halfway through the course, um, I sort of felt less confident about my art skills at the time. And I was thinking about career stability. And I still really liked chemistry and science. Um, even in some ways, in my final piece when I was at art college, I, I did write my contextual essay on um, how uh, science has influenced art throughout the ages. Um, I did a sort of anatomy-based um, work with my final project and looking at um, like just like the different um, I can't remember the basically like the golden ratio and those sorts of things so I still very much had an interest for science while I was still doing the art diploma but yeah um, I guess I just didn't feel that art was still for me to pursue as a career and maybe I should just do it as a hobby so I uh, went into chemistry instead but um, I really revisited art last year um, after I lost my job in Milton Keynes working as a research scientist uh, because I, I was at home and I didn't really have much to do. So I just started um, uh, dabbling in art, but this time in a different vein, looking more at uh, digital art and being really intrigued by graphic design. And um, even though a lot of my work now isn't really science-based, I'm definitely very intrigued uh, with how there can be links between sciences and the creative arts. I've met quite a few people who are scientists but also are artists as well. And I definitely want to do a lot of project work pertaining to that. I've had a few, done a few pieces that um, sort of um, like link in aspects of science, like um, in terms of anatomy and... Uh, in terms of cells and basically just looking at a close-up version of science and trying to incorporate that into my work but yeah definitely over the next year I want to incorporate a bit more. Um, I also set up a platform on Twitter called Creators in STEM to help find other people like me who are scientists but are also creative and um, I've done a few things with that which has been really good and done talks and stuff um, but yeah the short of it is um, you know, even though I'm, I'm very much uh, a scientist, I'm going to do a PhD soon. Uh, still something that I, I'm really interested in pursuing over the next four years. And um, 
you know, just doing a lot of project work, combining the two. And it's great that you've managed to, <clears throat> within the two week period that you've got between your jobs, managed to fit in getting an exhibition out there. So you're still managing to do it, which is awesome. Um, and I think I know what you mean about the, talking about the anatomy of, of, of cells and stuff. The, we do a lot of scanning electron microscopy on site. Um, and some of the images that we get from that are so beautiful and looking at the part, like different particles and morphologies and stuff. Um, so yeah, I agree that science can be beautiful and artistic. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Um, I feel like I've seen a lot of this on Instagram recently. Um, like for instance, I follow this person on Instagram who basically draws like the um, molecular structures of um, like some proteins, um, fats, like different biological structures. And they do it in such an artistic way that it's just really like amazing to look at. And so just sort of exploring different ways in which it can be expressed. Like, I think it's mm -hmm. so cool. Um, and yeah, I think the, the next question I, I wanted to ask is about Black and Chem, which I know Hallam introduced at the start of the, the podcast. Um, so he said that this was uh, created in 2020. Um, was it around the time that um, the Black Lives Matter um, movement was, was taking place? Um, and I just wanted to ask how you both um, got involved with this initially and how the group has now evolved and is still um, a strong presence today. But... Um... Yeah, so it so to talk about how Black and Chem started, it did start uh, last year in 2020, and it was around the time where the Black Lives Matter movement really um, got some momentum in the US and, and around the world. Uh, and that was around uh, the, the time of uh, George Floyd's death, of course. But started the, these movements so it wasn't just black in chem it was black in virtually every other field of science um what, what started it was actually black birders week so there was an incident uh where a a black person was out uh watching birds birding which is some what some people take as a hobby or even um you know people who do that um for their science and there was um an incident where uh, a white woman started you know shouting that she felt threatened i mean the video is out there i'm threatening to to call the police on this man um who was you know six feet away <laughs> filming and saying what is happening here um and so you know that video got some momentum online and um, the community, the birding community got together and said, you know, black people have the right to be outside. You know, they have the right to, to take the space. Um, and so this movement started on Twitter to show um, the black birding community and Black Birders Week. And for a whole week, uh, there were people sharing, you know, who they were, uh, where they were, why they liked birding and stuff like that to, to really create visibility for black people in this, in this field. And then from there, lots of different um, movements started. There was, I don't know, black in neuro, black in cancer, black in physics, black in virtually everything. And 
uh, and so that's that's how it started. The way I got involved was um, as all of this was happening around the world, I was looking around myself and thinking, do you know what? Actually, if I think about you know the names in the field that pop into my mind straight away, none of them are black people. Um, why is that? It is not because there aren't excellent black people doing this type of work. There must be. It's just that I don't know them. And that's a problem that I need to solve. So I started interacting uh, with people on Twitter and saying, you know, I really want to connect to more people, to know more, you know, physical chemists and laser spectroscopists and stuff, you know, people I can connect with in terms of science. And in one of these interactions, uh, someone, uh, I believe it was uh, Ashley, one of the other co-founders of, of Black and Chem, got in touch and said, look, we are preparing to organize Black in Chem Week. Do you want to get involved? I said yes. Um, and we got that first week going. And this year we had our second week. It's now an annual event. Um, and yes, that's that's how it all started. And um, Kemi was a, a big help for uh, Black in Chem this year. Yeah, I mean, for me, I definitely saw how the Black community um, you know, around the world is being affected by George Floyd's death and it was a really surreal period to be honest. Um just a lot of people sort of promoting um like uplifting, you know, black people in spaces that people didn't think that black people would be in, like in the sciences for instance and you know, for like bird watchers like Matt said. Um, but yeah, to be honest, the way that I got into Black and Chem was uh, just being really good mutuals uh, with one of the co-founders um, called Devin. And um, during the Black and Chem week, we really uh, connected and um, talked a lot during that time. And it was interesting because I think for me, uh, we don't really see a lot of black chemists in the UK. Um, even till now, I only know of one black chemist. Um, over here like personally and I think I'm aware that there's like I don't know maybe like one chemistry professor in the whole UK or one black um, professor pertaining to science in the whole of the UK so when it comes to seeing black people in my field it was just really scarce like I just didn't really see it until I saw representations of black people in my field on Twitter which was amazing and it wasn't just um, limited to the US, even though a lot of the co-founders are from the US as well, and a lot of people involved with them from the US, but from all over the world, from Africa, you know, from Europe, like, like literally just so many people. So after me and Devin had initially like talked a lot during the Black Chemists, I mean the Black and Chem Week, um, when it came to being on the committee for this year, um, she basically just hit me up and was like, oh, like. You know, you were really cool to speak to last year. Like, would you want to partake in, you know, being part of the planning committee this year? And I was like, yeah, sure, like, cool. Because I didn't think there were many black voices from the UK that were going to be part of the committee. So I was like, yeah, definitely I'll take one for the team. Like, I don't mind at all. <laughs> and so it was really fun. It was definitely, like, a huge committee. And it included a lot of people from all over the world, which was amazing. And, um, you know, I got to be involved in, with a bit of the logistics part, but also with the 
graphics designer illustrations part, which was really cool. And um, yeah, I ended up developing a design, a t-shirt design for Black and Chemist Week, which is amazing. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much how I got into it. I just sort of fell into it by being social to the right people. I think that's um, because I I think the whole thing is amazing. I think it's needed, and I think showing the like initiative, um, because I mean when I when I look at the the co-founders on Black and Chem Week, I think what's really refreshing to see is that you know this isn't some corporate group that's being put together by a group of CEOs. This is it's a movement, and I think that's so powerful. And um, you know before you know I'd really like to know what you know Black and Chem Week. Um, was like you know what what you got up to but I think um, kind of my question it, it's um, so kind of looking at the, the the leadership team and the the kind of the founding members obviously Nat you're within that group and I think you're just just by looking at it I might be wrong but you're the um, the only one from outside of America within there and I think you know that shows great initiative I think from your side to be like you know there's something there's there's something needs to be done here and there's there's more to be done but you know have you fit kind of have you found that outside of america the uptake been you know well received or is there well i think there's there's always more needs to be done but obviously it kind of sounds like this year you know getting kemi involved and um kind of doing that it shows that there's a momentum for it but how was that kind of getting involved with what seems like quite an american movement to start with Yeah, I mean, so it was definitely a challenge to... Um, so yes, you're right, I am the only one outside uh, of of the US um, and it was a challenge from the beginning to try and make the movement as international as possible. And during the first um, Black in Chem Week, actually, let me take a step back to what you said, you know, this is a movement and it's not a corporate thing. It's true. And if you look at the the team... Um, the team has now changed a little bit. Some people have left and others have joined, but it, it's true for all points of, of the team. The people who who make up this team are mostly PhD students. I'm the only one who's not a student anymore, but all, all the others are PhD students um, who are already very busy, um, you know, have their own thing going on and yet have dedicated a tremendous amount of work um, to to organize this and i mean to give you an idea of of just how big the the movement is even in the first week that we had last last year we had um uh mc hammer retweeting stuff michelle williams from destiny's child retweeting our stuff we had michael b jordan retweeting our stuff um so you know we really there was reach in this thing you know there was momentum right um but having said that, uh, and that's a really good thing, and it was a really positive week, there was l- so many people sharing um, their science and who they were. I-, I couldn't keep up. I was trying to retweet everyone, and I don't know if I managed to, because there was so much being shared. It was, it was incredible. Um, but at the same time, you know, it, it works with, in this organic way of, of um, social media that you can only reach you know people's organic networks i suppose so in the us it worked really well because we had so many people in the us sharing in the uk we were unfortunately just relying on my small network 
<laughs> so uh, you know, I, I did my best to try and extend it, um, but it wasn't it wasn't always um, always easy. Even though we did get participation as well from, um, like Emmy was saying, from um, other parts of the world as well, not just the UK and not just uh, Europe. Um, but hang on, I had another point to make and now I forgot. Ah, <laughs> sorry. Uh, I was going to say uh, in the UK, I think uh, one institution within the, the chemical sciences that really is doing a great job uh, with regards to um, black representation in, in chemistry is the Royal Society of Chemistry. So they engaged with black in chem um, from, from the get-go. Um, they timed uh, the release of their report on black representation in chemistry with um, the Black in Chemistry Week. Um, and, and that's the report that shows the statistics and that does really show that indeed at the time of this report, there is one single black chemistry professor in the whole of the UK. Um, and so the, the report has all of the statistics. It's quite, you know, um, staggering. Uh, but they they have been, um, I think, doing a really good, uh, really good work um, in this field. And I mean, <laughs> now I'm going to sound biased, but... Uh, Black and Chem did win the the Diversity and Inclusion Prize by the Royal Society of Chemistry in 2021. Hey, so don't, don't be biased. Um, yeah, we're really happy. Awesome. Really happy to. Be. <laughs> don't be biased. Plug plug that. Um, but but it, I, I, even if we hadn't won, I would still I would still believe uh, that the RSC is doing great work um, in this. And I mean, if you if you go look at the report, you'll see just how much work they've put into that, and they and they do put. You know, it's it's walk the talk, and they really do that. So, I think that in the UK they really are doing good work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think just to, to touch on the the report that you're talking about, because I had a look at this. I know you sent it over last time, um, and I think it has some stats about is it undergrads and uh, PhDs students in the UK, and I think was it. The undergrads have um, a similar representation to what the UK, um, the current stats for the um, different races, ethnicities in the UK, um, about 5% for black people as an undergrad. But then when it goes to the PhD, I think it decreases to about 1%. Um, and was there any comment on or ideas about why, why we think this is the case? Do you think it is because there's only one black professor in the UK and there's that not that representation there to, to kind of in, inspire people. I do have some ideas on this, no, but no I will idea. definitely let Kemi go first on this one. I mean, to be honest, I feel like when it comes to, to the biological sciences, for instance, it doesn't really tend to be an issue with the amount of black representation. Like when I went to university and for a lot of other people, um, as black people who didn't do those sciences, a lot of people ended up doing um, like biomedical sciences, doing biology, doing medicine, dentistry. Um, these are all pertaining to jobs that um, a lot of our immigrant parents want us to pursue. So for instance, it's sort of a thing, especially amongst the African Caribbean diaspora, that to be successful in life, you must be a doctor, a lawyer, you know, an engineer. So 
it makes sense in my mind that a lot of people tend to gravitate towards the biology-based subjects, um, which means that when it comes to other sciences or aspects of sciences, such as chemistry and physics, you don't tend to see as many black people in those fields. Um, I think I only know one or two people who have done physics at university, and I'm definitely one of a few people I know personally who have done chemistry at uni as well, but I know a lot of people who've done like biology or biomed or done um, medicine, especially people doing biomed trying to use that as entry level to get into medicine is quite common. So I think a lot of that, um, you know, that poses as an issue as well. So it's quite one-sided. I think another thing as well is that because of that situation of people striving for those um, high paying jobs and those fields, when it comes to chemistry and physics, there's not as much um, sort of uh, discussion to be had about how to get into those fields and what you can do in those fields. It's not as obvious to a lot of people. Um, you know, you, you can ask someone, oh, you know, what are you going to do when you do chemistry um, after university? And some people might, may just assume that you, you just become a teacher or end up, uh, you know, stuck in academia. but I think there's such a lack of information surrounding so many diverse um, opportunities and fields that you can go to with you can go into within chemistry that people just don't think about going into chemistry like that. Um, for me personally, like for instance, um, I sort of had those views as well um, initially before I went into chemistry, thinking, oh, what am I going to do with chemistry? Like I have no idea what what I'll do after this. Uh, course, but since I went into a very specific uh, type of field, like analytical chemistry, it made sense I'd probably be doing a lot of lab work and, you know, investigation stuff and looking at substances and, um, you know, it was like very specific. I knew exactly the sort of work that I was, that I'd let myself in for. But yeah, I think, you know, in addition to a lot of kids, black kids going for the more biology-based courses and subjects, there's people don't really speak about how, like, what you can do with chemistry, because chemistry as well is, is such a diverse field. I know people, for instance, who've done chemistry and gone into, like, writing or accounting. There's so many skills that you can do with chemistry, but no one really talks about that. <laughs> no, it's one of my pet peeves is that you Google what a chemist can do, and it's, oh, they work <laughs> in a lab, or they do this, and it's like, I know chemists who are now lawyers, or you know, I've gone down the commercial route in marketing and things like that. And there's so many broad careers, whereas you Google engineering and it's like, oh, you know, you can do this and earn hundreds of thousands of pounds doing all this. And it's like, you can do that as a chemist, but not according to Google. But uh, yeah, so sorry, Nat, I think you had something to add to Cameron's question there as well. Yeah, um, so I, I think, and this applies for universities as it applies for you know, companies, and it doesn't matter if it's chemistry or, or anything else, you know, I think um, the the question of black representation has gained new momentum, but it's not new. And um, I mean, speaking of universities, because it's the case I know best, but I'm sure that's the case in, in different institutions, the focus was put on meeting meeting the the ratios right so making sure that you have 
these percentages right. So what you want is to attract, uh, to enlist the 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 right percentages of people. Okay, so you say, okay, you recognize that it's important to have uh, black students in your cohorts at university. So you do your best to attract them. You change your marketing or whatever it is you need to do to attract these students to your course. And they are led to believe that um, they will be welcomed and, and they join. And then what happens is that many of them spend three or four years having an absolutely terrible experience um, because, well, due to racism that is then not addressed. That is then when, if, if reported, is not taken seriously. We've seen, we've seen episodes of, that were denounced on social media of, of um, racist episodes that happened at universities in the UK and with little consequence. Um, and and this then happens throughout the career, the career, right? You can attract black PhD students, but what happens to them then? Is the environment nurturing? Is the environment safe for them, or are they pushed out? So it's not enough to attract people on the false pretense that they will be welcomed and nurtured. You have to create an environment that actually lets people flourish. And, and, and let, lets them stay. You know, people don't have to, you, you cannot attract them onto an institution and then expect them to just suffer through it all. It's not enough. So, and I, I feel that this, not I feel, I've, I've heard people uh, talk about these experiences and how they felt pushed out um, because it's a toxic environment. And they have to put themselves first. So yes, they sign up, but then they don't finish and they don't progress through the rest of the career because why would they? It's not safe for them. It's not healthy for them. And, you know, they shouldn't be expected to just suffer through it. So I think this is part of the problem. We are focused on getting people in, but not supporting people through. No, I definitely agree, to be honest. I feel like it can be very alienating sometimes when you're in your field. I mean, luckily enough for me, I think because I'd grown up in a in a mostly, like, a predominantly white neighbourhood and um, gone to school at a predominantly white school, so I was used to being in mostly white spaces, but um, when, it come to, when it came to studying both of my degrees, I was the only black girl for both of them and it was incredibly shocking to be honest uh, even even um the first uni that i went to coventry was the one of the most like diverse uh, unis that you could go to there's definitely people from um different cultural backgrounds um who attend that uni which can't be said for a lot of other unis um but even then going to that sort of uni um, I didn't really see anyone who looked like me in class. I didn't have any black lecturers or professors. So, yeah, like Nat says, sometimes it is, you are lured of that promise of, you know, being able to progress and to do well, but it comes at a price because, to be honest, as there's barely any representation, you have to become that representation. So it's almost as though you have to bear the... Um, you know, 
sort of shortcomings and you know racial transgressions or you know other things that you know black people before haven't we really had to do in that field because you're literally one of the first there so you're basically just going to have you have to suffer for, for um whoever's going to come afterwards um but yeah i agree like i feel like i don't see many black um students for instance progressing on to doing phds um you know in chemistry or you know the chemical sciences at least here in the uk so that's also quite an issue i think it's it's, it's a real eye-opener and i think not i think you used the you use the word it's institution isn't it it's kind of certainly within industry kind of maybe talking outside of academia now i think there's you know i think i don't think i'm out of the turn saying that the chemical industry when you talk of directors and managing directors and senior managers it's a predominantly white male environment and you know i was having similar discussions this week with part of the young professional networks that i'm in about um you know from a female perspective um but you know i think from yourself it, it's that it's that role model and it's kind of within these organizations that um it needs to kind of inspire and lead but it's it's how can you inspire and lead when it's kind of it's the same it's that institutionalized kind of concept that you know our managing director needs to be a white man in his 50s you know and there's there's nothing wrong with that you know it's not it's it's but we need to change mindsets and i think you know i've learned so much by being part of these young professional networks about things like you know the leaky drain pipe and you know there's actually you know we don't actually struggle as an industry getting you know females in but we struggle keeping them and it's why and it's understanding those kind of um that everyday sexism that you know Cameron and I were you know well positioned enough that we never experience um and I think it's the same here and it's something that you know, really needs addressing and there's there's no easy answer, I think, for any company. So I think any company that would commit is, um, that's the first step, I think, is realising that there's a problem. But I think groups like this and I think what you both are doing, I think it's fantastic and I think it's the only way that, you know, change is going to happen. Um, so I'm just, I'm just conscious of time for both of you and I know we're kind of coming to the end, but I think one question I would like to ask is um, around Black and Chem Week. Um, you know, first things first, you know, what, what are the types of things that, that you you did in Black and Chem Week that I think it's just gone? Um, when's the next one? And how can any listeners who are inspired by what you both said today, how can they get involved? That would be really good if you could both share that. Um, I mean, again, I, I, I can go on this one. Um, so in in both uh weeks the idea is obviously to uh give people visibility is to to bring black chemists to to the spotlight um and and also to, to for, for several reasons right first to create a community and to have these role models and to have this support and this visibility um but also to create not a database, I don't want to say a database, but, you know, sometimes you hear that excuse, oh, you know, I'm not inviting black chemists to my panels because there aren't any or I don't know any or whatever it is. Um, and right now you can just tell people, well, go on to Twitter and search hashtag black chemist week and just take your pick. There's literally so many brilliant people out there. You're just not looking. Um, 
So, you know, that excuse is, it was never a good one and now it's completely void. Um, but the weeks, um, we have, you know, social events, we have talks, we've got um, poster competitions, um, we usually have panel discussions about, um, you know, racism in, in, in the chemical sciences, sometimes more targeted towards academia, sometimes more to industry. So we've got a, a little bit of everything. Um, and the first time around, it was more the co-founders team sort of deciding what to do. This year, um, we got a, a more sort of a wider committee of people to, to help out. And we pretty much left it to to people to tell us what they wanted, um, to what they wanted to see during that week. Um, and so it happens every, it happens every year now, uh, second week of August. Um, and this is always the idea. We have the days where we have roll calls, uh, for people to share and retweet and things. And we have, um, events which we try to make, they're all online, of course, and we try to make them as international as possible. Um, to get involved, go on Twitter, at Black and Chem, start following if you really want to get, um, there's also a Black and Chem um, uh, webpage, so you can go and check that out. Get in touch if you want to get involved. Um, if there's anything in specific that you're thinking, I mean, we are open to hearing from people because we are trying to work out the best ways to help the community. Uh, one of the biggest things that I'm most excited about right now is uh, we actually have a Black and Chem postdoctoral fellowship um, grant going on uh, that people can apply for. Um, and we're trying to get funds for different things. So you know, there's nothing set in stone yet because we're trying to find um, sort of more stable sources of income to fund our ideas. But we are looking at ways in which we can support the Black MS community the best as we can. Um, and you can also donate. You can go on our webpage and donate. So that's another way to get involved. And you're, if you're a company listening and you want to do your bit, <laughs> uh, do get in touch. Um, and yeah, I mean, we're, we, are, we are sort of just uh, working to get established as a nonprofit in the US right now. Um, so we're pretty flexible because we're trying to find our our space. Um, so for now we're we're pretty flexible. So anyone that wants to get involved, just get in touch, then and and we can um, sort something out. Don't know if you want to add anything, Kemi. <laughs> I feel like Nat's pretty much covers it. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, I feel like to be honest with you. As much as social social media has its downs and it can be really crappy at times, it's honestly been such an essential tool to have been able to network with people in my field, with people in chemistry, um, you know, with black queer people, the LGBT uh, community in sciences and in STEM. Um, honestly, like if you use it correctly, it's such a brilliant tool. So even in addition to, you know, um, communicate, communicating with people on Twitter, um, who are part of Black and Chem and just, you know, seeing the updates and see what they're doing. I also say, you know, just like send a tweet or if on Facebook or whatever, just ask around like, oh, are there any people in my field? Like, do you do this? Have you covered these certain like topics or whatever? 
And I guarantee you, you will find at least one person who will be in your sector that you can just chat to. Honestly, that helps so much. I've met so many people in my field and in the sciences by just talking nonsense to them on in- on Instagram, Twitter. Um, honestly, like, <laughs> I mean, people who follow me on, on socials already know that all I do is just talk nonsense. But honestly, like, even if it's not for academic purposes, like, even to make friends, to make mates... Like I've met people, I've I've like gone to lunch, had dinner with people I've met, um, you know, from Twitter and like, Instagram, who are also in the sciences, and it's been it's been really lovely. I know a lot of people as well, like do meetups like in their cities uh, for people who are in their sectors as well. So honestly, um, yeah, keep up with what Black and Chem are doing. But also, we need more like please, I want to see like more UK Black chemists like about on socials i want to connect with more people who are in that sector so please if you're a uk black chemist please like holler at me message me whatever because i love uh, connecting with black chemists so yeah we hope that this podcast may help bring some more people together yes see, please see. i'd love that <laughs> um I think it might be a good place to end it, Cameron, <laughs> yeah. really. I don't think we yeah. can add much more. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that because the question that I usually ask is, um, is there anything that you'd change about the industry? But I just think we've just spoke about 50 minutes yeah. about what we would think should be changed. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So, yeah, I yeah. think that's a... <laughs> it's, 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 I yeah. think what you're doing is really inspiring. And I think I'm hoping that people are listening who, you know, can get inspired. And I'm hoping that this company is listening. I know that... There's uh, people from member organisations within the Chemicals Industries Association. I know they listen to this, and I'm hoping that you know this will inspire some to to get in touch. So, um, yeah, fingers crossed. Anyway, <laughs> I hope so. Honestly, no, I really hope so too. I, you know what? Though I feel like it is coming, it's heading in a more positive direction. I'm definitely seeing more uh, representation, even if it is just gradual. So we're, we're eventually getting there. But, yeah, you know, yeah. It's it's need a bit more of an oomph. Yeah, it's so several years behind where it should be, but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't yep. celebrate growth. So, yeah. 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 To to be honest, I I <laughs> gave a talk about uh, black and chem at uh, London Metropolitan University. Well, again, online, mm. but they organised it, and uh, there was such support and enthusiasm for this type of initiative. It was incredible it was really great so um that was really refreshing to to yeah. hear oh, it's so. perfect brilliant well um no i just want to say thank you um you know from myself and, and Cameron. i'm sure he'll echo it but thank you both of you for, for coming on and spending your friday evenings uh <laughs> with us while i'm drinking dutch <laughs> diet coke um yeah so thank you very much it's been great to talk to you both and uh yeah it's uh, i'm hoping that some of our listeners are are inspired by you know what you've both talked about today so thank you from my side yeah to echo alan thank you very much for taking this time out of your friday evening we've had a great chat and we hope thank you thank you for the invitation and uh yeah i'm sure (laughs) we'll um kind of maybe when uh, kind of Black and Chem Week 2022 is coming up, we might get you both back on to uh, tell us more about what you've got planned and uh, if there's anything that the chemical thank community you. can do to help. So, um, yeah, no, thank you very much.
brilliant chat with uh, with uh, Nat and Kemi there. Talked so much about um, lots of really interesting topics that you know you and I haven't um, encountered in our lives, Cameron. But um, I think it shows the the power of a movement, and um, it's it's really exciting to see what what both Kemi and Nat are, are doing and what they're part of. And I'm really looking forward to to seeing what Black and Chem Week is going to look like in 2022. So, um, yeah, I'm sure we'll keep in touch and have them back on the podcast again in the future. But um, yep. but Cameron, no, now is your time to shine. It's uh, it's time for another true periodic fable. And uh, this week, Cameron, it's uh, it's your turn. So uh, fire away. Over to me. Yeah, so because of um, the chat that we had today and also last month in October, it was Black History Month, I thought I'd have a look and see what famous black chemists um, have been around in the past and what, have they, what they've done. And I came across this really interesting guy that I think against or in the face of adversity did some amazing things um, back in the early 1900s. So I'm going to be talking about a guy called Percy Lavon Julian. Um, so Percy was born in 1899. Um, he was the son of a railway clerk and a grandson of slaves. Um, so, assumedly not really born into to a lot at all. Um, but he exceeded in, in high school and he was elected to to be the valedic, valedictorian, valedictorian. That's yes. it, yeah. yeah. Um, in 1920 when he, when he graduated from, I think uh, it might have been Scott, uh, college or the end of high school. Um, I'm not too sure what the valedictorian is, but I, I know I see it on American TV like, sometimes, yeah, and it's there. That, like the head student, isn't it? They, it's a head, they win. Boy, head girl, yeah, they, yeah. They win high school and <laughs> get to do get to do a, a talk at the end. Um, so obviously, a very intelligent guy. Um, he struggled then after graduating because there was a lack of a lock a lack of job opportunities, um, likely related to um, his his ethnicity. Um, but thankfully. Um, he managed to win something called the Austin Fellowship, which took him to Harvard, and he received his MA degree in 1923. Um, and after that, he, he again, he struggled to get roles in institutions. Um, and so he served in predominantly black institutions. And then six years later, he received a grant to earn his doctorate in chemistry. So that's how this ties into our podcast. And he went to study at the University of Vienna, um, studying under a guy called Ernest Spath, fantastic last name, <laughs> um, studying natural products. Um, he then went back to America in 1933. A lot of dates at the moment, but we're going to get to the substance soon, I've realized after looking at my notes, um, to a university called DePaul University. And from there, he was a research fellow. And this is where he really started to kind of create his own craft in chemistry. And he worked on a phenomenal number of high quality papers. And one of them, which is still, I think, one of the most famous papers to come out of that university, um, which is titled The Complete Synthesis of Physostigmine. Physostigmine. There we go. Got it. Um, I got it. Just looking at the word <laughs> terrifies me. Um, I hadn't heard of this, this molecule before. Um, but what it is, it's an anti-glycoma drug um it's an alkaloid found in the calabar bean so i think this molecule was known about but people didn't really know how to be able to synthesize it so that it could be uh, a pharmaceutical drug um so 
For people that don't know, glaucoma is a disorder in which the pressure in the eyeball increases when the aqueous humor does not drain normally and it can cause damage to the (laughs) classic (laughs) Um, can cause damage to the optic nerve in your eye and then could lead to loss of vision so this is a a really terrifying thing Um, so the the discovery of how to create this drug synthetically um, was really important Um, and what the psi so stigmine does is it promotes draining of the fluid and eases the constriction of the outflow channels um and so 65 years later his achievement still remains important as derivatives of this form continue to show therapeutic promise both in the treatment of this but also in the treatment of alzheimer's disease and also for combating the effects of chemical weapons too so a really important compound um Another thing that he discovered at the time was how to isolate um, small crystals of a hydrate called stigmasterol, and which has a similar molecular structure to a number of different things, such as cholesterol and sex hormones, um, which are more likely known as steroids. And that's going to come into the story a little bit later on. And but by the age of thirty-six, he was a world-renowned chemist, which is which is incredible. Um, but despite these accomplishments at the university, um, he was denied a faculty position there because of his ethnicity. Um, and one research job at another place fell through because there was a, a law in a town that forbid the housing of um, Negroes overnight. That was verbatim. Um, so, yeah, this guy really struggled to, to catch a break despite his excellence in chemistry. Um but then what my biased mind would say is that he finally turned over to, to the light side and he turned to industry. <laughs> so he was, a, he was offered a position as a director of research for a soya products company called Glidden in Chicago. And he worked there for 18 years and did a lot of work around soybean proteins. Um, so one one day when he was on site at this factory that, that made that I think processed soybeans he was summoned to this 100,000 gallon soybean oil storage container I don't really work in gallons so I converted it to litres and it's about half a million litres which is huge um, and what they saw that was water seeping water seeping into the oil this soybean oil tank had resulted in the formation of a white solid material that had collected at the bottom of the tank and um, remembering his experience at the university where he isolated these like white crystals um he realized that you could isolate really small amounts of these steroids from the soybean oil and subsequent modification of these kind of um an accidental crystals that had formed in this massive container led to the daily production of hundreds of pounds of mixed steroids um that was worth more than th- million dollars annually um, which is crazy in the article it didn't say if that was 3.6 million at the time or now but looking at the conversion rate that'd be about 150 million um, which is a fantastic accident to make in a a private company (laughs) Um, but after after that he then did a load of different things so he formed his own laboratories called the Julian laboratories um, that made a lot of fantastic contributions to the field of chemistry um, 
he i'm going to skip over some other molecule names that i've got in here because i think it's just <laughs> too many he did uh, isolate one of the nine essential amino acids for healthy healthy living so um tryptophan which is an essential amino acid and cannot be produced by the human body um but it's used in the production of serotonin and in melatonin which are both incredibly important um, um molecules for our bodies um he developed a synthetic technique to produce this. Um, he sold his laboratories for two million in 1961, which is a again big value. Then um, he was finally appointed to the board of trustees at DePaul University, which is the university that won't um, give him a faculty position. Um, so yeah, he he got to eat his cake in the end, which is great. Showed them, and <laughs> he did show them. Uh, and then one of his many lifetime honours is, is that he was elected in 1973 to the National Academy of Sciences. I didn't really know much about what this is, so I asked Google, how prestigious <laughs> is the National Academy of Sciences? And it said that the U.S. National Academy of Sciences is regarded as the most prestigious honorary scientific society in the, in the country, but it also has a reputation for being old, white, and male. <laughs> <laughs> So do you know what he 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 managed to break through and break Fantastic. that mold, which is great. Wow, brilliant! What um, a story. But yeah, and one quote from him was, "I don't think you can possibly embrace the kind of joy which one who has worked with plants and structures such as I such as I have over a forty-year period. Um, how wonderful the plant laboratory seems! You can just tell he loved it. He yeah. just absolutely loved it and was great at what he does. Yeah, that's so, brilliant, brilliant. And in the face of adversity and diversity, he. Um, he kind of said, screw you. Yeah. Kept looking, kept finding, found his calling and uh, left an impact on the world. That's what we all want to do. Oh, brilliant. What a nice story. What a lovely way to end the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. No, thank you very much for that, Cameron. That's uh, That was brilliant. So, um, yeah, another episode done. Episode 10? We're 12, 11, 11, 11. This is 11. Oh, we're already yeah. doing double This is 11, yeah. Where was it? Where <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, no, we wouldn't yeah. do it without our listeners. So thank you very much to everyone who's listening. And um, yeah, please keep subscribing. Please keep sharing. We appreciate it as ever. Um, and uh, yeah, like I say, tune in next time for our COP episode. So um, yeah, we've been awesome. Cameron and Hallam. And uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening, guys.